Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I think I was like 25 and I had like 30 employees and some of them were a decade older than me. And they would say things like, oh gosh, one comment that sticks out in my mind is like, there was an executive that we had hired. And at the end of the meeting, he pats me on my head and says, good job, kiddo. So I was like, hey, can I talk to you? So I took him aside and I said, hey, don't ever call me that ever again. That it's completely unacceptable to me. And he was like, oh, and then he tried to justify it by saying, oh, I meant it as like a term of endearment. I was like, well, would you say that to my male co-founder? You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Hola, mi gente. Welcome back to another episode of Yo Quiero Dinero, the podcast. This is your host, Janice, and you're listening to episode 97, How to Be a Latina Tech Startup Founder. On today's episode, we're going to be joined by Tanya Menendez, co-founder and CEO of Snowball Wealth, a platform that provides personalized guidance to pay off debt and build wealth. Snowball's first product, a free student loan plan, helped users save on average $6,000. Before Snowball, Tanya co-founded Makers Row, the largest online marketplace for American manufacturing. 
Before becoming an entrepreneur, she worked at Goldman Sachs and Google. Tanya has been included in Forbes 30 Under 30 list and named one of people in Espanol's most powerful Latinas. So if you've ever wanted to know what it's like to be a tech startup founder, it's such a rare thing to see in our community for Latinas to be starting these massive companies and becoming, you know, part of the culture that has been very much like a white male bro type of culture. So I am so excited to provide this behind the scenes look at what it's like to be a tech startup founder, what their fundraising process is like, all of the things that you have to take into account, and how you actually can bring your idea to life. If you want to find out more about Tanya, you can follow her on LinkedIn and Twitter, and you can learn more about Snowball Wealth at snowballwealth.com. Stay tuned to this episode. You don't want to miss it. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Tanya, welcome to the podcast. It is an honor to have you here. I've been a big fan of your work for a long time, so I'm super excited to bring you to my audience. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So why don't you start off with an introduction? Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Tanya Menendez, co-founder and CEO of Snowball Wealth. It's a platform that is meant to help you go from having debt to starting to build wealth and understanding the steps to, to do that. I love that. Okay, so let's talk about your relationship with money growing up. I imagine that student loan debt is maybe something that you had to grapple with, and that's kind of what inspired you to start this company. But I'd love to kind of hear your story about money. Yes, and I'll get personal. <laughs> when I was 19 years old, I had over 20000 in credit card debt and other types of consumer debt. And it was one of the most stressful times of my life. I remember all of the shame, the anxiety, like not knowing who to talk to, not knowing what to do exactly. And so that's what really kind of set my experience when it came to personal finance. So when I was 19, I had to like Google and like research how to pay down the debt, how to negotiate it down, how to rebuild my credit score. And ever since then, I had this determination to really start to understand and take control of my finances so I wouldn't feel that way again. And I come from a working class background. So my dad is a factory worker. My mom is a secretary. So at a young age, I had to figure these things out on my own and had to also witness their evolution and their struggles. And even if you do all of the right things and you work hard, sometimes like the economy or things will just happen and you'll have to learn to recover from them. And then when I went to college, I did get into student loan debt. And that's when I saw that Student loan debt, even if you do all of the right things, like you go to college, you get your degree, 
you want to progress financially, there's this huge financial burden that you start your career with. And it's extremely stressful. There's dozens of ways to pay it down on top of all of the policy changes that you have to keep track of. Even if you're on top of everything, you you have your emergency fund. I didn't have any debt at the time, but it was still super confusing and overwhelming. And that's when I thought that starting a company that starts with student debt first would be really helpful for other people that are in the same position where they want to start to progress, but it just takes so much time and effort to research what's the right thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. I think student loans keep so many of us from doing the things that we want to do in life, whether that is having a family, getting married, buying a house, doing all the things. And so it's definitely something that I think is very unique to the millennial generation as a huge obstacle that is stopping so many of us from really living the lives that we want. So let's talk more about your career and kind of how you got to where you are today. Did you always intend on starting a company or like what was the original plan? Yes. I've always had an interest in closing the wealth gap. So I majored in sociology in college. I actually had a focus on economic sociology and immigration research. Started off my career doing that. So I worked at think tanks as an intern. And then I went to the economy. I graduated in 2009 during the financial crisis. And my family was really impacted by that. So that piqued my interest into financial services. And so I went to go work at Goldman Sachs and after college with the intent of like understanding how all of this worked, you realize quickly that it's still very confusing. Even when you work at these things, they don't tell you how to like invest your 401k or anything like that. You still have to figure that out on your own. I saved money. I saved up my emergency savings and built it back up to like six months. And once I had my six months of emergency savings, I quit Goldman to pursue my first business. It was very risky at the time. Like I actually thought that I was really on top of everything. (laughs) I was being really responsible, but it was a risk. I actually didn't tell my family that I was quitting Goldman because I knew it would stress them out more. But I decided to take the leap. So my first business was a leather goods line. I did kind of manage the risk a bit. I had been working on it during nights and weekends. I had already had, I think, like 20 stores that we were in at the time. And we had a big Nordstrom order. That's what really motivated me to quit. The company was making some revenue. I had my emergency savings. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to ask my parents because I know they're going to say no. They're going to stress me out more. So I just did it and like kind of hoped for the best. Worst case scenario, I can go and look for a job again. And so that's my first kind of entry point into entrepreneurship. It originally started as like, okay, I'm going to start this as a hobby. I want to learn a lot. I think it'll be fun. And worst case, I'll get a job again. And then I sort of just became sort of addicted to seeing things come to life, especially in leather goods. My business partner was a designer, so he would draw the thing that we were building and then we would go to a factory and then get it created And that felt like magic. Like you just have an idea and then it suddenly it's in life. And suddenly you see people like on the subway wearing it. Like that feels like, okay, we're creating something that's changing the way that people live and interact. Even at a really small scale of like a leather goods line, I got a taste of bringing ideas to life then. That's so interesting. So how did you, right? Because I'm sure a lot of people are like, girl, how did you get money to launch a leather line? Because like that sounds expensive. (laughs) 
Yeah. And it was all bootstrapped. Like my business partner at the time had been working on it for almost a year before I came along. And I did put some money into the business. We both did, but we didn't come from parents that could give us this money. So we were living in New York. We were renting a room in a house as a couple, right? And we were paying $600 a month in like this kind of area that was still up and coming. So splitting it, it was only $300 a month in rent. And then we were really on top of all of our expenses. So sometimes we weren't spending more than like $1,000 a month just like living. So we kept our costs as a couple. So we kept our costs super, super low, even if that meant kind of eating like eggs for a day or something like that. So like we really poured everything into that business and we're really kind of cost aware of everything. It's possible. It did take a lot of sacrifice. I had to say no to a lot of like wedding invitations and like drinks and going out and kind of just had to be like, sorry, I'm in like startup mode right now. I have to do this. I was only like 22 at the time. So like being in your 20s and having to say no to all these things was really, really hard. I can only imagine. And yeah, I love the really practical advice of just like when you are really excited about something and you want to invest and you want to make it grow, you're going to have to make sacrifices somewhere else. And sometimes that's money. Sometimes that's time. Sometimes that's relationships. It could be a combination of all those things. And so I think that's the part that a lot of people don't want to confront is this idea that by saying yes to something, you're inevitably going to have to say no to something else, right? That's the hard part. That's the not glamorous part of starting a business. So let's talk about Ask Snowball. Like, How did that begin? What is the difference between starting a physical goods-based business versus like a technology business? Yeah. And so I used my experience for that physical goods business to start my first tech business. That was called Maker's Row. So that helped other businesses find factories in the U.S. And so that was my first entry point into tech businesses. And the way that we got that started was we applied to an accelerator. We used our domain expertise as leverage to create a tech product that helped with that. And then we raised money, we hired engineers, we hired a team to build it. I worked on that for about five years. And then I came back to California to work on Snowball Wealth because I was still in the back of my mind, like excited to solve this problem, to make kind of financial, I don't even call it financial literacy, but it's like financial kind of progress possible. And I teamed up with my co-founder, Pam, who's my technical co-founder, because I knew that I wanted someone that could actually build the product. And I wanted someone that would be in it with me kind of in the trenches. Like if things go wrong, she's going to be there. We can chat. We can talk through like what we want the product to look like. So that was my first step in starting Snowball was finding the right partners. And we also have a third co-founder who had the finance background. She's now an advisor. So she still works with us. But the three of us started it out and now it's Pam and I full time. And from there, we needed to focus in on what we were going to build first. So initially, we started off a little bit more broad and doing like financial coaching. Then we realized that focusing in on student debt and building a product that did that really, really well would make a bigger difference. So we launched a free student loan plan last year. And that basically helps you understand between your different options, like repayment, like making additional payments, forgiveness programs, and also refinancing options and assessing between which one would make help me save the most money. 
And now that we have that out in the wild, we are now expanding to include other tools that help. So we are launching a net worth tracker and a few other kind of tools to help you track your financial progress. Awesome. Okay, so let's talk about the venture capitalist space. Take us behind the scenes. What does that look like? So less than 1% of venture capital goes towards Latinas. And so I knew that the odds were against me in a way. And I was lucky that I had that past experience where we raised money for my last business. I knew it would be completely different for this business because it was consumer facing, because I didn't have a male co-founder. So that dynamic is different. And we're also in fintech, which is a kind of exciting and kind of, it's crowded. Like a lot of people are creating fintech companies. And so it's competitive. So I knew that it would be challenging, but you know what, this is exactly what I want to do. So I'm just going to do it anyway. Like if I had a choice, this is what I would be doing. So I'm just going to go for it, even though I know it's going to be really, really difficult. So the way that I started fundraising was I first started with people that I knew from the industry and that my mentors and just talking to them about what I was building. And one of the first checks came in from a mentor of mine. I was just having brunch with her and kind of telling her what I was doing. And she offered to invest and that set it off. So then from there, I started talking to a few other people, letting them know that I'm starting to fundraise. And then some more checks started to come in. So that was like the first few checks that I got. As the company grows, you have to run a more stringent process. The way that I approached it was I started to study the industry. So I read books, literally read books on negotiation, read books on fundraising, listened to literally dozens of hours of talks and advice from other founders. I spent dozens of hours putting together my pitch and doing a lot of research behind the scenes of like the industry growth, what our plan is going to be. So it takes hours and hours and hours of dedicated research. The thing is that it's a mental game. Like you are betting on yourself. You're putting yourself out there. You go there with the understanding that you're going to get no 90% of the time. And it hurts. It hurts every single time. (laughs) Like someone says no, someone says that they don't like it, that it's a bad idea. And it's really about overcoming that mental hurdle of, Every time that someone says no, like taking it as a data point, but not as the truth and then continuing forward and finding the believers and finding those people that really kind of align with your vision of the future and are excited to build that with you. So where does one go to find (laughs) investors? Yeah, that's a good question. Online, literally, I just started researching. So, yeah, no, literally, I've like messaged people <laughs> on LinkedIn. Like, I've one of That's the amazing. first checks that we got. I literally met her. I was on a flight. We were sitting next to each other on a flight, and I just kind of struck up a conversation. We added each other on LinkedIn. Three years later, she ended up investing because I messaged her on LinkedIn. So, literally, it is just stalking people on LinkedIn. On it, putting yourself out there, sending that message saying, hey, I'm starting this company, would love to chat with you about it. And it's scary. Like sending that first message was, I was nervous that she would say no. I was like, all of these thoughts were running through my head. Like, what if she says no? What if she says it's a bad idea? What if my life is ruined after this? So you just start spiraling. But like at the end of the day, you just have to send it. 
hope for the best and just like move on to the next one that like you're in a send and like if they come back and they say yes that's great but like you just have to keep going and going because you can't just rely on like one I didn't send a message to one person I sent a message to 50 people (laughs) right a portion of them came back and a portion of them said yes a portion of them said no and you just have to see it as like what it is so part of it's like researching online there's a lot of resources now especially for women like Tequeria is a resource for Latinos. All Race is a great resource for women that want to start businesses that are fundraising or if you want to start raising money. And they have a list and directory of women-friendly investors. And now the industry has evolved a lot where there are BIPOC-friendly investors. There's lists of women-friendly investors so I started off with those lists first because I was like, I would love my company to be backed by women and BIPOC and people. And so I started off there, but one thing leads to another. You ask, you have to ask for a lot of introductions too from like other founders that have raised money. So I did that also. So it's a lot of talking, <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> researching and outreach and spreadsheets. <laughs> it sounds like quite a task. now. What's the difference between like the grassroots fundraising versus going to a venture capital firm and just saying like, can you guys just give us money? Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. So the way that the industry calls it is that there's angel investors and then institutional investors. So our first round was with angel investors mostly. And afterwards, we did raise some institutional capital. And the difference there is that they do have 
a lot more diligence that they call it basically research on you and your company that they do so they do a lot of research on the industry they will reference check you they'll ask for introductions to people that you've worked with or they'll just research the people that you've worked with and talk to them so there's a lot more research that they do on their end but they also come with larger checks they also come with more resources so they will introduce you to other companies are in the space that can help you move forward and so there's another piece to the institutional funding that some require more control of your company. So some of them will want like a 10% ownership in your company, for example, in order to, they'll require like investing up to the amount that gets them 10% ownership. Another piece is that of the control is that they'll want a board seat, which means that today maybe they take one board seat this round, the next round they might take another, and then you lose control of making decisions for your company. And so there's that trade-off too, where you could lose control of operating control of your company. So at the end of the day, you're then, you have a job again, where you are working for the board and you're not really working for yourself anymore. And so coming to that reality of like, I'm going to go this route, but I may lose control of my company down the line and I need to be okay with that. So that's a big decision that you also have to consider when you're thinking about like raising capital. Yeah. It's very much like Shark Tank vibes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious because I've been wanting to learn more about angel investing and I understand why people do it right from just like the, I believe in this business, I would love to see it grow. But like what other incentives are there for people to invest as angel investors? Like what do they get in return besides just seeing hopefully your company blossom and become what they imagined? Yeah. So beyond the potential of it exiting and getting a big return, a lot of people start angel investing to really learn about new industries and learn about the business. So our angel investors get access to our monthly updates and visibility into the growth of the business and how it works. Some people also get tax deductions from it. So there's that too, when it comes to the financial side of things. And but overall, people do it because they're passionate about seeing these ideas come to life and they want to be supportive. Like my first angel investor, I think that she just wanted to see it happen and she wanted to like encourage me to like pursue it full time. Oh, that's another piece for Snowball. I didn't go into it full time right away. I did it part time for over a year. So I took on some consulting work to cover my basic expenses. So I wouldn't drain my savings account too much. And then once I got some capital in the door, I decided to go full time. Awesome. Now, I imagine when it comes to taking people's money, it's not like a bake sale where somebody gives you like $20. And it's like, hey, yeah, go buy the cupcakes you need, whatever. What kind of legal ramifications are there for people giving you money for a business? Like, do they have to have a contract in place with you? Are you working with lawyers? Like, how does that whole thing work? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. And things that you do, you have to just kind of figure out on your own. I spent hours researching and talking to people about this too. But the industry has also evolved a lot to make it so much easier for people. So Y Combinator, which is an incubator or an accelerator in Silicon Valley, they have created a lot of templates for entrepreneurs that a lot of people use as like an industry standard. So there's a legal document called the SAFE that you can use that Y Combinator came out with. That's a really popular financial instrument. That's a contract or legally binding kind of 
agreement that we have our investors sign when they invest. So yeah, there's definitely a process. And obviously we got incorporated also, but even like that was pretty exciting to see how that's involved. Like Stripe now came out with a program called Stripe Atlas that you can incorporate your business for $500, which in the past, my first tech business, I had to pay $5,000. So that's the difference that's happened over the last like 10 years that has made starting a business way, way more affordable and seamless. Also the safe, like the agreement, it creates much less like legal fees when it comes to that. So I did hire a lawyer. I have a legal counsel that we work with on an hourly basis and he makes sure that we're on top of everything when it comes to like board consents and all of these like kind of pieces that we have to make sure that are in place so that everything is buttoned up for our investors. You're so right about how like all of these different platforms have come out to like streamline the process of starting business. And there are even platforms for like becoming an angel investor. I think our crowd is one I've seen. Yield Street is also one. And this is like continuing to pop up. So it's giving a lot more accessibility to people like me who want to find these businesses, but like don't even know what people are building to just really get involved in a way that's like super easy. Now, I know the stats are not in our favor when it comes to Latina startup founders. What have you learned about yourself in this process, right? Because I imagine it takes a lot of grit to stay committed to this thing that you believe in and that you want to see grow into an amazing company. But like just the overall lack of representation in the space, I'm sure it can feel just like, what the hell am I doing here? Like, why am I doing this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had so many <laughs> of these moments. I started my first tech company when I was in my early 20s. And so that was really difficult for me because I dealt with a lot of kind of identity issues where I didn't see people like me and it just felt so isolating and it felt so lonely. And I felt like I couldn't relate to anyone. Like that feeling of just like vibing with someone of just like that shared understanding of your background and where you come from. I didn't have that. And I had almost the opposite where people would point out that I was different. They would point out that I didn't belong here. So it's not even that I had the lack of connection, but I also had people kind of, it felt like pointing out that I wasn't meant to be here or like, not even that I wasn't meant to be here, but I was different and that like, I don't look like the typical kind of tech founder. But as I grew older and as I started to kind of mature and go through therapy and things like that, I started to get a lot more comfortable in my own skin. I started to see my differences as big opportunities and as an asset versus and not like as a liability. And so I started to really just become more comfortable with my background, with even being kind of not ashamed, but just like being aware that coming from a working class background also isn't common in tech. And now I'm like proud of it. Like that's what made me who I am. Like I am proud that my parents had to make a lot of sacrifices and that they had to go through all of these things. And that's what has inspired me to create the business that I'm creating. And I think that getting to that point of being really proud of your background has been a huge accomplishment for myself personally, because I think it's just, it can feel scary to be different and to be kind of the only one that looks like you in the room and like to have to deal with comments like that. And like kind of even hiring people that are much older than, like I said, I was in my twenties, 
I think I was like 25 and I had like 30 employees and some of them were several years older than me, like a decade older than me. And they would say things like, oh gosh, one comment that sticks out in my mind is like, there was an executive that we had hired. And at the end of the meeting, he pats me on my head and says, good job, kiddo. And so that, but like learning to respond to them. So I was like, hey, can I talk to you? So I took him aside and I said, hey, don't ever call me that ever again, that it's completely unacceptable to me. And he was like, oh, and then he tried to justify it by saying, oh, I meant it as like a term of endearment. I was like, well, would you say that to my male co-founder? Matthew, and he was like, no. And I was like, well, exactly. Like, it's an understanding of like yeah. respect and things like, so even having to explain to someone that that's wrong. And I'm so triggered <laughs> right now. Like, I want to punch that guy for you. Like, that's <laughs> wild. Having to deal with those moments as like a young woman that's like 5'2", and like having to navigate that and like, I definitely had to surround myself with a lot of other women that I could talk to about this. Like, how do you deal with these situations? Like, what do you say in these circumstances? It's very triggering. <laughs> oh my gosh. I think that it's so important, like you mentioned, to have that tribe of people who you can just relate to who are in this space. How did you go about finding that? Because I imagine like it's hard, especially in your field. I was really intentional. So I started a dinner series I called it like Latina Leaders Dinner Series. <laughs> and I actually brought in women from other industries that like there was an executive from like a media company that I invited. And so women from other industries. And honestly, I just cold emailed a lot of them. And I asked kind of mentors to connect me to some of them and to bring people together. And then I got like a magazine to like sponsor and things like that. So I kind of went out there and like did a lot of outreach. And again, kind of like knowing that some people are going to say no, some people are going to be busy. That's okay. Because like the people that say yes, it's a hundred percent worth it. And one of those was that mentor that invested in me. And so I like laying down a lot of seeds and like knowing that someday they're going to grow. Some of them might not, and that's okay. But like planting seeds, I think is really important and just cultivating those relationships over time. Yeah, that's such a great point. Sometimes you literally have to create your community where it doesn't exist. I love that. Okay, so talk to the aspiring Latina founders that may be listening to this podcast right now. What's your best advice for getting this process started and for staying committed to the journey when you're feeling like, I can't do this anymore? For any aspiring Latinas, I would say... I think it's just important to take it step by step. Like you don't have to create a billion dollar business. It never happens overnight. <laughs> and so knowing that you kind of have to start like your day one. So what's the first thing that you want to do? Start to think about what you want to build. Start to talk to people about it. Because as you start to talk about your idea, you start to evolve it. You start to like get feedback and like some of the feedback you take and take action on and some of them you don't. People will connect you to others. And so you have to start talking about it. And for those times that you feel like quitting, where it's really difficult, try to distinguish between the days that are part of the roller coaster, when is actually your breaking point. And I think that for some people, it might be, I'm going to try my best for these six months and go for it. Or sometimes people are like, I'm going to work part-time on this until I hit a milestone and then do it. But every person's journey is different. So I think that you have to think for yourself, like what is actually the breaking point for you where you would actually quit? And if you haven't reached that yet, then keep going, like take a day off, 
relax, go on Take a walk. Take a day off, y'all, for real. Like, you do not need to be going ham for years on end waiting for something to happen. Like, you can't take breaks. Yeah, exactly. You can even take a week off. Like, don't imagine that. Your- yeah, you don't have to work yourself to burnout. I think it's really hard to recover from burnout. Like, when I left my business after working on it for five years, I was burnt out and had to take a whole year off to. <laughs> just like travel and read and just be at home and just not do anything and then recover. And then I started kind of working part-time and then I started this. For me, it was also a ramp up. Like I didn't go from my last company straight into this company. I definitely took some time off to heal and recover and reflect and learn That's so important. (laughs) Because you really can't continue to be in that creative entrepreneurial space when you're just so depleted that like all you're thinking about is like, when do I get to go to bed? That's just not the vibe. (laughs) Exactly. And that's not what your purpose is, right? And then the other thing that I do is I also remember why I'm doing this. I talk to my customers. I talk to our community and that keeps me motivated too. Yeah, I love it. And I love what you were talking about before and just like owning your story as your power versus as like an obstacle. Mm -hmm. I think it just really helps you live into the story that then you have to communicate to people in order for them to believe in what you're doing, right? Because like nobody wants another cookie cutter, generic founder story. They want interesting, inspiring people who are different, who are also committing to changing the world around them. So I'm so grateful for the fact that like you have taken the leap of faith and you're inspiring so many people that I don't even think you realize just by being in this space. So thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm very much about like mindset, right? And like doing all the scary shit that is like starting businesses, investing, building wealth, doing all that stuff. It takes a lot of mindset work. So I'm curious if you have sort of a mantra or like a saying that you live by, or maybe that you like prep yourself before you're going into important meetings. Like, would you love to share that with us? Yeah. My biggest mindset is that your life is a movie, not a photograph. So you can be stuck today. That doesn't mean you need to be stuck tomorrow. (laughs) Like that just means you're stuck right now. You're not defined by the circumstances that you're born with. You're not defined by the circumstances that you're in right now. You have the agency to make change. You just have to take it one step at a time. Another thing that goes along that is that you're not defined by your successes or your failures. And you can just create the life that you want starting today. So if you want to be a tech co-founder, just decide that and go for it. And don't think about how hard it's going to be. Think about what the possibilities are and what are the people that are going to support you along the way. Because if you continue to think about, because I've definitely gone through this, especially like years and years ago, sometimes you'll get into this like spiral of like, you'll think about, the statistics and like this isn't meant for me this isn't a space for me like there's no one here like I feel overwhelmed there's all of those thoughts it's normal for them to go through your head but just be aware of them and know that they're not the truth that you can create your own truth and your own reality and you might not be happy with the industry but that can be more of a motivation to be in it and to change it You have to be in it, y'all, if you want to make change. That is so important. Okay, so talk to us about Snowball because there are a lot of people who are in student loan debt that listen to this podcast and they can use all the help they can get. So what is it about the app that can help them get past the struggle and the obstacle that is student loan debt? Yeah, so the way that the site works is that you come in, you sign up, 
you sync your student debt accounts. You can also sync other accounts to track your net worth. Now we just um, recently launched that. And then we create a student loan plan for you where we assess the different types of options that you have on refinancing or making additional payments. And then you can make a more informed decision on what you want to do with your student debt. And for some people, that might mean getting on income-based repayment. For some people, that might mean make additional payments that go towards your principal so that you pay less interest in the long term. And for some people, that might mean refinancing, especially if you have a private loan. We also do 15-minute consultations for people that are evaluating between these options that are free. And yeah, we'll be launching a few more tools later this year. So excited to be adding to the platform. And then the also the last part about Snowball is that we have a free community for women and non-binary people to join, to talk about debt, to talk about their wins and their challenges and anything else that they're, they're thinking about. So for folks that want to find out more about you, more about Snowball, where's the best place for us to connect with you? I'm pretty responsive on LinkedIn and Twitter. They can also email me at tanya at snowballwealth.com. Amazing. Tanya, I'm wishing you so much success. And I just want to thank you for, again, being such an important voice and leader in this space and helping to continue to normalize the idea that, yes, Latinas can be freaking tech startup founders, too. (laughs) Yes, yes. And thank you for what you contribute to the space, too. I love it. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa.
On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.